0: Craft Beer Radio presents the 2012 Saver Salons. For the fifth year, we recorded the salons at Saver. This year, there were 18 in all, six educational salons and 12 private tasting salons. You can find all the Saver podcasts, including ones from the past five years, all on our website at craftbeerradio.com. Drink My Shorts, a collection of beers from Shorts Brewing Company, a small brewery in Bel Air, Michigan, that has acquired a big following.
1: My name is Paul Gatz. I'm director of the Brewers Association. The Brewers Association is the group that uh, created Saver five years ago and uh, puts it on every year and we have a great time doing it. We uh, love being here in D.C. We're the national not-for-profit organization that promotes uh, craft brewing. We also promote home brewing uh, across the country and today one of the things we're trying to do is promote beer and food and uh, um, just have a good time doing it. Our jobs are a lot of fun. Um, uh, before we get going, I'd like to uh, uh, thank our supporters. Our host distributor is Ray's Beverage Group, and they do a great job with uh, getting all the beer onto the floor and uh, really helping us out. We couldn't do it without them. Uh, some of the brewery supporters are Abita, uh, Gang, Dogfish Head, Sam Adams, Allagash, Boulevard, Brooklyn, Devil's Backbone, Flying Dog, Full Sail, New Belgium, Rogue, Saranac, and Sierra Nevada. A few other supporters are... Brewer Supply Group, Draft Magazine, greatbrewers.com, the National Beer Wholesalers Association, Oak Beverages, uh, Spiegel Owl uh, sponsors these uh, tastings uh, um, directly, and uh, craftbeer.com, a great website. If you haven't been to craftbeer.com, check it out. And uh, all these salons will be recorded for podcasts by craftbeerradio.com, by Greg right here, and they'll be available in the coming days so you can hear what you heard and remember it. Uh, Maybe. Um, So we've got a real special treat for you tonight. Um, Shorts Brewing is one of the most beloved breweries in the country. Uh, There's a lot of people out there who wish they distributed in their states, uh, but they're uh, you know slowly working their way up to be able to make uh, some more beer and uh, fulfill more than uh, uh, just just Michigan area, plus a little bit out of there. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) you got to come see us to get our beer. All right. Um, on your right is uh, John Vojtovich. He's uh, been with uh, Shorts for five and a half years. He started as kitchen manager uh, for the Shorts Brewing Pub in Bel Air. And he filled other roles as pub manager, cellarman, brewer. Uh, so he's been covered a lot, worn a lot of hats up there. Now he's uh, the head of sales and field representative uh, representation as part of Shorts Beer Liberation Department. That's quite a fun title. And... Uh, Hopefully we'll be able to get you to liberate some of these beers uh, tonight. And um, uh, also uh, uh, here is Scott uh, Newman-Bale. Scott is a founding partner of Shorts, and uh, Shorts started in 2003, as I mentioned. Uh, He serves as CFO and VP and is one of the owners of the company. Uh, Scott moved to the US in 1999, and they added a second brewery, a packaging brewery, in Elk Rapids in 2008, and uh, they, you know, got a great reputation. I recall being at the Great American Beer Festival when they first came, and not a lot of people knew about shorts, Um, but then all of a sudden as the festival went on, the lines got longer and longer for the shorts booth as people, you know, the buzz around the hall was, you got to check these guys out. And um, uh, before, uh, well, before and during his brewing experience, uh, uh, Scott was a uh, video game designer. Uh, Also, he's uh, been an entrepreneur in other areas, establishing some uh, uh, real estate-based companies. And uh, he's a very active member on our government affairs committee at the Brewers Association, so we know Scott very well. And with that, please join me in welcoming our, oh, you can call him Woj, uh, Woj and Scott from Shorts Brewing.
2: Um, thank you, Paul, and thanks, everybody, for coming out, uh, for toughing it out and making it to the last salon uh, where hopefully you'll get to try uh, some wonderful short Uh I say hopefully because, you know, uh, until we try them, we don't know if everybody will enjoy them or not. But uh, they're some of our favorites. And um First of all, I guess, how familiar is everybody with Shorts Brewing Company? Has everyone in here heard of us before and tried some? Good. So I won't go too far into our history, but as I'm sure most of you know, um, we're not afraid to experiment. We're not afraid to try uh, a bunch of different things. There's certain styles that we embrace and love, especially like our hoppy beers. And so we'll constantly... um, be experimenting with our hops and also with some non-traditional brewing ingredients. So with that being said, we kind of anticipated that a lot of people that would be sitting in on this salon would be looking forward to maybe some of those uh, non-traditional but traditional beers from Shorts, um, if that makes sense. So... When we started talking about it, uh, obviously a lot of what played into what we would be able to bring tonight uh, depended on what would be available. Um, Some of our beers, like our key lime pie and our bloody beer, uh, we make at certain times throughout the year when they would be most seasonally appropriate. Uh, So we started going through our library and looking at what we had, and Scott made the suggestion of, well, why don't we pick you know one particular non-traditional brewing ingredient, and then we'll focus on that. So that made some sense and helped us narrow down um, the selection greatly, and so we decided fruit would be an appropriate theme. Obviously, being summertime with a lot of these uh, fruit beers coming into season, um, we thought that would make a lot of sense. The cool thing about the selections we brought tonight, though, was not the fact that fruit can be used as a showcase and really a a dominant flavor in a beer, but fruit can also be used as a means to accentuate uh, flavors that already exist in beer, and through that, uh, we could play on some really fun flavors that exist, and so whenever we add things to beer, we always try to, you know, think about it logically, uh, be very methodical, and Um, you know, first ask ourselves, does this make sense? And I know it sounds, with some of our beers, like carrot cake and key lime pie, you're going, really? But even then, we really deconstruct the beer to its core and then play around that as we start throwing some of these concepts out there and consider adding some non-traditional ingredients. So with fruit, the fun thing is it can serve as this wonderful um, opportunity to, like I was saying, accentuate flavors that are already existing in the beer. It can be used to kind of... um, You know, cover up certain things, like we have a barley wine tonight that we're going to try that has a really high alcohol content, and typically those high alcohol contents give you a a big warming effect, and so we used fruit in that one to kind of help mellow that out and make the beer more uh, sessionable overall, and then other times fruit can be a showcase, and and you can design almost a brand new beer all around that and using that that fruit as a centerpiece. So that's going to be our theme tonight, and... You know, for people who have tried a number of our beers, a lot of the times they ask, you know, why? Why does this taste so good? You know, what, what's the secret? And, um, you know, we're not, because we're not the first, you know. And, and this is uh, the best thing about experimenting and putting non-traditional brewing ingredients in the beer. It really is uh, our way of embracing the American heritage of, of brewing. Um, you know, at times of shortage, people would look at what was available around them, and they would use that as substitutions. So it, it makes sense that it's in our it's in our roots, and it's in, in the brewer's blood to want to experiment and add things to beer. It, you know, at first it was out of necessity. Now it's just out of that uh, drive to keep being creative and, and almost paying homage to some respects. Uh, our Spruce Pilsner will be coming out at the end of the month, and that's one that always resonates in my mind, is, you know, paying homage to uh, the colonial brewers when they were had times of shortage with hops, and they looked at what was available, and they, they threw that into their beer. So,
3: and One of the funny things about the growth um, of Shorts is when we started as a brew pub, Joe would come up with some of these beers, you know, I want to do this and that, and it was okay, we go you know to Kroger or Piggly Wiggly or whatever the store is where you are buying. and we could buy some ingredients, and we would you know use them. As the brewery got bigger, we we, you know, we started making more and more of some of these weirder beers. Key was the best example. Was that was one of the first large batch beers that we did. All of a sudden, it goes from okay. We need some graham cracker crumbs. Um, I was like, okay, how much do you need? A um, uh, quarter of a ton, maybe half. It's all right. I'm trying to find half. So you're trying to phone around. Like, where do you find half a ton of graham cracker crumbs? And then uh, the next one was... Uh, the best one was marshmallow fluff. We actually needed half a ton of marshmallow fluff. So I phoned the mar- uh, everyone. No one could do it. Finally, we actually found the manufacturer. I and mean, actually, there was only two manufacturers. One of them wouldn't do it. We found the other one. And they're like... The, the quote was... I was like, what's the biggest size that you have? And they're like, we, we can probably pack custom packages and pails. And they're like, how much do you need? I was like, half a ton. Um, like, do you realize how light marshmallow fluff is? <laughs> it's like... Yep, I'm going to need a lot of pails. So <laughs> it was, uh, and they are actually some of the funny thing about these things and chocolate bars and um, everything that goes into them is uh, a lot of these companies are actually coming up. They're trying the beer, we're sending it down to them, and they're just like shocked at the usage of their beer. And actually, it's opened in their eyes to some other things that they can do in other e- channels as well. So it's been a really fun trying to source them, and it's getting harder and harder. And um, but it's definitely a crazy experience. Uh, that was a, quite a shopping list.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's pretty much the answer to that question of why. You know, why do your beers taste different? Um, we use all real brewing, in, uh, you know, all real ingredients, and, and they become brewing ingredients once we incorporate them into a beer, but we don't use any extracts. Um, and so from that, obviously, are the challenges that Scott mentioned. Um, and we don't skimp either. You know, and the beer obviously becomes a little bit more expensive to make, but the end result is so gratifying, and it's so much fun to showcase those and, and and give them to people who enjoy trying these beers. That it's worth it in the end. So it's really I hate telling people that there's not a big secret to it. It's just yeah, we we put blood oranges into that. Oh, okay, a lot. You know what I mean? So it's just it's just more. But we don't want you. We don't want to say, hey, you're gonna taste some pine in this, and then have people reaching for it. Instead, we want it to be like, yep. There it is. You know, I got it. So um, the best part about it is uh, the ideas come easily. It's then the finding the ingredients and making it work that uh, become the challenging part. But with that being said, uh, the first beer we have tonight... Is become one of our most popular beers. Uh, it started out as a collaboration beer that we did with Half Acre, uh, which is in uh, Chicago. And it's funny, Joe and the guys from Half Acre met during CBC a few years back in Chicago, and it was really out of mutual uh, interests that led them to kind of meeting each other and then ultimately saying, well, why don't we make a beer? Um, This beer has a theme to it. It's kind of uh, based around a band uh, known as Ween, which actually just broke up a little bit ago. And uh, the beer is called Freedom of 78 Pure Guava IPA. Uh, The story goes on and on uh, uh, to kind of explain the roots of the beer, but the focus of this is the fact that this beer has uh, guava puree in it. And this would be a perfect example of how fruit can be used to accentuate some of the natural citrus flavors that we've all come to love and embrace uh, that exist in American hop varieties. When you think of your Simcoe, your Amarillo, Cascade, those hops that give you those citrus-like flavors. And so one of the things that we started doing, thank you, is, um, you know, well, geez, that really tastes really nice in beer, and it seems like a lot of people enjoy that what else could we add to this beer that won't seem totally unnatural but might be able to amplify some of those common citrus flavors, making it seem like a natural place in the beer? Um, so Guava came about uh, through discussions because this band had an album called Pure Guava, and um, Shorts are, were big IPA fans, and so was Half Acre, so the discussion kind of naturally led in this direction. Uh, The beer turned out pretty well, and this is actually the third or fourth time we've made it, and it'll probably become a continuous beer that we'll make throughout the year, maybe once if not twice. Um, The cool thing is, though, when you try this beer, uh, guava sounds a little unique, and it sounds uh, kind of abstract, but it, it should be a really nice progression, you're going to get some of those nice tart flavors in the finish, which is the signature of the guava, but overall, it's still, in my opinion, a very functional beer. It works. And so this is a great example of how fruit can be added to play on those existing flavors of the American hop, citrus uh, you know, uh, nature of American hop varieties, but also uh, give it a fun, unique twist while still being you know, a beer that makes sense.
3: When was this uh, one made? Do you remember it um,
2: would have been when, after CBC was in Chicago, so that was 2010. But when, when, was it, when did we make this batch? Was oh, it, this, was, this batch was made, um, would have been March. That's what I thought it was. So this was March. As well, yeah, so. the first batch was made in Halloween after of 2010.
3: Because we had so. a, well, the reason I wanted to bring that up is doing some of these beers is uh, hilariously challenging, and we've often made an awesome beer or, uh, going to the other extreme, a beer that we didn't like. And the funny thing is, is some of the beers that we think are so awesome at first die down quickly. And then some of the beers that we may not have even liked, um, I would, there's a couple of examples, I won't throw them out, but I just, I can remember that they, uh, really didn't like them. And then all of a sudden, like a year later, um, it just tried it again. Um, and it was so, perfect. Um, so the changing nature, like when you throw you know, half a ton of this, half a ton of that into a beer, put it in a bottle, it's, it's a challenge to try and figure out where that's going to go. Yeah. Um, which is why one of the tra- most biggest challenges for you guys, if you don't live in the state and you've tried some of these beers, maybe on trading and things, is some of them hold up. The Keyline's a great example. It's an awesome beer it's, if you keep it refrigerated, but it's a perishable product. And as soon as you, you get that temperature up, the uh, kind of lime flavor dies down a little bit. Some of the other flavors come out, and it's still, it doesn't go off, but it just changes the whole complexion of the beer. So, we've been working really hard to try and research how to add things to beer, what we can do to actually kind of increase the shelf life, which has been a, a really interesting challenge. We've learned a lot of different things, we've uh, struggled with others, and um, it's been really kind of an interesting voyage of figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've been forced to learn the hard
2: way a lot, but, you know, it hasn't really caused us to stop. We definitely, uh, will never put a beer out there that does not meet our standards, which means we've dumped some very expensive beers before. Uh, I wish we could be sitting here, uh, showcasing the theme of nuts. As as our as our focus, like we're gonna do five beers that have nuts in it because we've done it. We've 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 experimented with a ton of different nuts. Some that we've been able to do at the pub batch that we got all ready to purchase the packaging and wanted to do it at a statewide level in twelve ounce bottle, um, and then had to dump twenty four hundred gallons of beer. Um, and when you Smallest think about, stamp. and when you what's that turtle? Yeah, and Double when you batch think about small stout. Oh. Uh, turtle stout. <laughs> yeah, and when you. Th- and when you think about using the real brewing ingredients, you know, or sorry, real fruit and real nuts, that's an expensive batch of beer to dump. But, you know, it probably also played into the reason why we decided fruit. We'll send fruit beers out because it's going to travel a long distance. And and the fun thing about fruit is that um, it, it's easier to kind of calculate what's going to happen in the beer. Um, Another fun thing about using all real ingredients is that you're going to get some interaction with the yeast. The yeast likes to consume sugars, and it really likes fructose. So it's going to consume all of those first in a solution uh, before moving on to the other fermentable sugars. So um, we get some really fun uh, surprises ourselves, especially with our one of our best-selling beers, like our Soft Braid, which has four kinds of real fruit in it, because all of the fruit sugar ferments out, and you end up with this really nice fruit-like refreshing quality, and next thing you know... Uh, that fufu girly fruit beer all of a sudden becomes the fruity beer that guys can drink, and it has an eight percent ABV, and it's a really enjoyable beverage. And so, um, it's amazing how you know experimenting like this has not only surprised us at times, but I think it also surprises a large group of consumers, and it continually helps us break down those misconceptions, which is what craft beer is doing on a daily basis it's what we're all doing is breaking down those misconceptions that beer is not just one thing and then within the world of craft beer it's not just these 72 things it can be you know so much more and if you're you know looking at the stylistic uh, guidelines and things like that and so um you know this is just one great example of it is how you can use fruit and then other things um any questions about the pure guava is is it enjoyable do people uh, like it no daisies, yeah. Question about the
1: fruit. Yeah. Uh, you just add the fruit, and uh, sometimes is that botanomyces uh, and uh, different things that happen with the with just like the natural yeast of the fruit.
2: So when you add fruit, are there other uh, variables that you can't account for sure. that could lead to a, to, to infection this. and things like that. yeah? Um, you know, we try to be pretty methodical. A primary without giving away too many brewing secrets, the best answer, and we get that all the time, when do you do this, when do, you do that? And I go, well, a trade secret. Um, a, a lot of it is, yeah, what are we trying to accomplish? Are we trying to consolidate the sugars or are we trying to let the sugars ferment out? Um, we don't do any bottle conditioning, so primary fermentation is our primary uh, mode for fermenting the beverage. Um, we do flash pasteurize now, but we've never really had uh, uh, like, uh, bacteria become an issue when it, when it is working with fruit. Um, which we've been very fortunate, you know. And uh, there's ways that we do it uh, that sometimes it gets sanitized, you know, if we're incorporating it in the boil, which helps a lot. And other times where, um, you know, it, it just it, it has. It, thankfully, it hasn't been an issue during fermentation. And we do flash pasteurize now, which should neutralize any bacteria or uh, yeast that's still alive. We have had exploding beers before. Uh, with like our strawberry shorts cake, and that was a, a, one of our biggest lessons was when it came to uh, bottling um, oh people aren 't always going to take care of the bottles the way that we hoped that they would, and so we 've had that be an issue, but thankfully we 've never really had um, any any souring take place unless it 's some severe mishandling um, you know. I mean, really hot. Be
1: something that you would want to do
2: sometimes. Yes, exactly. Um, we made our first ever sour and first and last, and we used Mount Morenci cherries, uh, which are common in Michigan. And then uh, we we actually put them in uh, bourbon barrels that we had uh, lactic in there, and, and that was intentional. Exactly, yeah, and and that worked out perfectly too. Um, the nice thing is when we used a fruit like guava. You get those nice tart characteristics just from the fruit itself, naturally. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, You do have many advantages for using fruit, and that goes back to historical Belgian brewing practices with the Creeks and and et cetera.
3: Yeah, it's a great point. Um, As we can uh, probably start to uh, pour the next beer as well, and uh, before we start talking, we wait till everyone has it. Um, Kind of focusing on that point, where we've come from a development point of view as well, is, and there's, we used to have videos of how we made our beers. We've taken them offline since, but there's a few rogue ones out there still. But one of my personal favorites was when Joe decided to make black cherry porter one year, and the guy showed up with the cherries, and he's like, you know what, I've got some extra cherries, blah, blah, blah. Don't worry about it, you can just keep them a few hundred extra pounds, whatever. So Joe's like, alright. So Joe, it was a bad idea for even what he ordered, but then uh, what he decided to do was to take his hand blender, or home, like blender, like to make smoothies and take them all, put everything in there, blend everything up, dump it into a bucket, next, next, put more in, nah. keep on going. He did that continuously, and I don't know why he didn't stop and think to maybe change course, but he did that continuously for 20 hours, um, blending Black cherries. It was actually a 25 or 27 hour brew day that he did to make the first black cherry porter. And he said that he's still one of his favorite brewing days. He said I was so zoned in, I just didn't even think about doing anything else. So fast forward through now, then we got like a pneumatic mixer kind of thing, um, which uh, then we kind of fast forwarded even now we've kind of developed we're starting to learn our lessons and we have developed custom custom pieces of equipment that really help us out um, and allow us to do some of these fun stuff So, yeah. and you know that's a perfect segue
2: into this particular beer because it seems like everybody who's brewed at Shorts has to go, had to have gone through their rite of passage um, You know, fortunately, I was able to dabble in the brewing, and one of the first concept beers I ever threw out there was a uh, peanut oatmeal stout. And um, the only way we could think of getting the peanut flavor in there and doing it right was using dry-roasted peanuts and 90 pounds of it. And like Scott said, it involved a stick blender and wort and making your own homemade peanut butter, more or less. And uh, it it was uh, the same day, and it was one of my first brewing experiences, and it also happened to be a stuck mash. So it was like an 18-hour brew day, but one of the most memorable and enjoyable experiences I've ever had at Shorts, please. Um, This particular beer that we have coming out right now is a really awesome beer, and it's similar to the guava in the fact that we used um, not so much the puree or or the meat of the fruit, but we were able to take advantage of the, uh, the, the rind and the zest. And this particular beer is another uh, double IPA. We love hops. Hops also travel very well, so forgive us for using our durable beers for long-distance travel. But um, this is our double IPA called the Liberator. It comes out every year in December. It was originally brewed by Tony Hansen, who was the first brewer to ever come on board and kind of assist Joe with all the brewing and then eventually become the head brewer as Joe moved on to all the many other things that involved uh, managing this business. And so Tony had a very similar story uh, like Joe uh, with the Black Cherry Porter when he first made his uh, first concept beer and Joe allowed him to kind of run with an idea and naturally one of the first non-traditional brewing ingredients he picked was also fruit and it was plums and he wanted to make uh, a beer that he called Smuggling Plum Sweet Stout and that involved hand pitting 300 pounds of plums and he did it but at the same time there's that excitement that comes with a brewer having the opportunity to brew an idea, you know, run with an idea, go for it, we'll, we'll invest in the plums, you, you know, however make it work, and it was a it was a good beer, but it was just so similar to like Joe's first experience that he describes as one of the best brewing days he ever had, 20 hours of blending cherries in a blender. So Tony Hansen uh, that was one of his first experiences, and he again used fruit because fruit's a little more predictable, we kind of know after years and years of other people using fruit of what will happen in there. Um... Well, when the time came that Joe Short was going to turn 30 years old, um, Tony decided, I'm going to pay homage to Joe and this you know, uh, wonderful opportunity he's provided all of us with these jobs and this ability to uh, make beer in northern Michigan and also you know, embrace the, the creative aspect that comes with brewing beer. He was, I'm going to make a beer uh, for Joe's 30th birthday. We're going to call it the Liberator. Uh, it was the first double IPA we've, we made. Well... I guess it would be kind of the second because we did an Imperial IPA prior to that. Um, But he made it in complete secrecy to Joe and, you know, embracing, again, the American hops and all the the wonderful big, bold, citrusy and floral flavors in the American hops uh, that exist. But he also added lemon and orange zest. And the cool thing about this particular beer, like our Nicey Spicy, which is our summer wheat, which has lemon and orange zest, is at the time we only knew of one way to get lemon and orange zest. (laughs) <laughs> Which was hand-zesting it. So thankfully, like Scott said, um, as we grew and we realized there has to be a better way, um, and also just out of necessity, we need more of this fruit, it's led us to kind of research and outsource and find ways to um, get this volume that we need. Unfortunately, we don't hand-zest, you know, cases of lemons and cases of oranges anymore to make beers like the Liberator, um, but we've found these other avenues and these other companies that have this product, but they use it for something totally different. And all of a sudden they're calling, ups, calling us up going, hey, we're having a trade show. Is there any way we can get some of that beer that you made and that you needed that product for? Because we think there might be more potential for this with other breweries. And, um, and entered uh, frozen zest, buckets of frozen zest, or uh, 50-gallon drums of black beer, uh, blackberry puree or uh, five-gallon buckets of golden raisin paste. You know what I mean? So um, it, it was incredible, and, and, and that's the thing that we view as such a value and asset, that we'll have someone like Tony Hansen, who's now our head of brewing productions, say, you know, okay, Kirk Gunsfiller, our, our, our head brewer in our production facility, we'll run with that idea you had to homebrew a batch of raisin Apollo where you wanted to use golden raisins. Um, but I guess I'm going to have to find a large amount of golden raisins. And he invested, I think, three or four days of looking online, trying to outsource golden raisins in, a, in, a, in an amount that was practical uh, to use. And fortunately, we ended up finding a paste. And it's amazing people's willingness to say, you're going to do what with it? Here, here's some samples. Try it out. you know? And it's, it's great. I mean, now we have people sending us samples of stuff that I don't think we ever envisioned or even planned on using. But... It's pretty cool. You know, it's a great opportunity.
3: Um, One of the things about this beer, before we get too deep into our drink, is um, if you agitate this beer up in your glass as well without spilling it on yourselves, it um, really, and then give it a good sniff, some of the aromas that come out is so different. You can start to really identify some of the zests in there. Um, It really changes the beer a lot. And actually then when you go back and drink it, you may actually change some of those things out too. So. Yeah, temperature also is a big one. But, you know, this is a perfect
2: example of we could probably sell you and give you this beer without even telling you that lemon and orange zest was in there because it is a, just a nice natural progression of flavors, and it works very well. Um, but at the same time, it's also fun to know when you think, you know, when you think you might
3: be picking up on something that's a little bit more than what you expected. I was just thinking, uh, as you were saying, we could not tell you. The TTB wouldn't be happy. And uh, <laughs> the funny part about that is, like, some of the th- TTB applications um, that we have to fill out and, you know, we have to explain to them through processes and what we're putting in, where and why and things like that. And some of the forms, fortunately now we're down to one or two people that we work with. But things like the smallest out and things like that, writing out, like, this process. I just, I remember one of the first ones was, like, just, uh, we got back, was, like, a, what the F? Like, with it approved, but it was, uh, it was, it was uh, in the envelope directly from the TTB guy. I, I thought that was really funny, and getting back into it now is, uh, we have build up a better relationship and some of the things is is just... uh, And they're getting more used to these things. I mean, there was not nearly as many craft brewers doing these things either. But it's really been a training education and now we've met up and they're getting better at learning some of these things. It's not totally crazy, so... Did you have a question? Yeah.
0: You mentioned uh, looking online and uh, I guess you you really haven't been around enough to be there before there was really online stuff, but uh, has that... um, helped and even improved, you being able to source ingredients and get stuff?
2: Absolutely. I'd say just uh, efficiency and also price-wise. I mean, prior to that, when you needed fruit, uh, we looked at, well, where does our deli get fruit? Oh, okay, a a food supplier, you know what I mean? Which isn't the most practical for large-scale brewing, so...
3: And we've managed to work now with the suppliers, so, yeah, we, you know, we need a weird type of, you know, peppercorn or something. We found where this comes from. And we've gone directly to them. And, uh, like, for instance, the graham cracker crumbs is a great example. We actually, um, one of the batches, we don't use them anymore, but one of the batches we found was uh, the graham cracker factory. And they actually basically have a catch-all afterwards that they package the crumbs into, like, these little things and sell them off in, like, the packets that you get. So what we actually managed to do was to work with them and develop, like, a custom way of actually capturing that in Um, and actually now the best part is that is that we actually source what we did a few times ago with uh, Key Lime is we actually sourced those within Michigan which was not very far and we've actually found that most of the things we can source closer like it's crazy the amount of things that they make in the US and even in Michigan but even in the Midwest it's like some of the stuff you just wouldn't even think that they made in such quantities and had such access to so we've been really trying to work locally when we can sometimes not yeah. yeah, he usually does.
0: Yeah. Instead of the national stuff, you can find stuff that's closer but still online.
3: Yeah. Yep,
2: exactly. Um, how much of the stuff, the crazy stuff
0: you're doing is, you know, is it, all right, I, I, you know, there's a pie that I like, I'd like to make a beer that tastes like it, and how much of it is, man, I, I just found boysenberry, let's use it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, is it a...
3: It's a combination of both, I both. think. Yeah. it's a. Yeah. Uh,
2: I think people are always disappointed when, you know, they say, well, how did you come up with these ideas? And they imagine us like, locking ourselves in a think chamber and being like, we're not coming out. A lot of the times it's just spitballing, drinking beer, you know what I mean? Sitting around, having a beer, throwing out great ideas. Oh, wouldn't it be cool, you know, when we come across or we travel and we come across some, you know, interesting fruit uh, varieties. Uh, apparently, Key Lime Pie was um, our head of brewing production, uh, his wife's idea because her grandmother made a really great key lime pie wouldn't it be cool if that could be a beer well why can't it be you know and i think of some of the earliest searches for ingredients like marshmallow fluff like how how do i find a large amount of marshmallow fluff and and i started that search you know in bel-air and the best thing i could do and i remember calling up scott and i was like well i found like five pound tubs like from marshmallow fluff the company he's like no that that's not gonna work you know we need like 80 of them you know and uh Sure enough, after some more scouring on his part, next thing you know, some industrial strength five pounds. It was called
3: industrial marshmallow fluff, too, which was <laughs> kind of disturbing, but it was the exact same thing. I was like, really? I was like, all right, it's the same thing.
2: Nobody else in the world
0: is <laughs> industrial marshmallow fluff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But,
2: you know, it ends up being pretty neat to see how that um, not only opens the eyes of a business that has been producing something that they figured was exclusively for one or two applications for the longest time. And then we come along and, you know, I, I was thinking about what Scott was saying about how to get some of these products registered. And they say, well, what's key lime pie beer? You know, you can't, you know, you got to put on there what it is, you know? And we're just like, well, I don't know. I mean, it's it can, is experimental work? And they're like, no, no, you have to put something else on there. So we end up saying a lot of the times, we end up saying a golden ale with... Um, because a lot of those really unique beers where we're not using the non-traditional ingredients to, you know, play on some of the pre-existing flavors, um, we find, you know, what are some good base beers? And then what can we get from those base beers? Golden ales obviously provide a pretty solid template. Um, you get some nice grain flavors. You know, and even in those dessert beers, uh, they're not as bizarre sounding as they might Appear, you know what I mean? Because we do rely on some of the flavors in the beer. The strawberry shortcakes is a great example because we will use things like victory malt, which is commonly associated with giving you some nice biscuity flavors. Um, I know a brewery that literally dumps whole pies into the brewery. And I think the only reason why we don't try that is just because what a mess, you know what I mean? I couldn't imagine having to clean that up. And I don't even have to clean it up, but I still couldn't imagine it. So we say, well, what can we get from the beer itself first? And then um, you know what else would we need to add to kind of bring that to a home. So it looks like everybody's had any questions about the, the Liberator or the Pure Guava? In the Liberator? No, I don't believe I don't believe so. I believe these are all, you know, your cascade and um, the only ones where we've used New Zealand uh, was the Apollo, I think is from New Zealand. Is that correct? Right, no. No, the Apollo no, wasn't. No, not Apollo. Um, Pacific Gem, we use in our, our uh, golden the and then I think there was another one we use as well. But, uh, no, these are mostly American hops, uh, definitely your Cascade, and then since there's some Centennial in there for bittering as well. Um, and then that lemon and orange zest was really just to kind of give you some nice aromatic qualities. Um, and some of you probably are feeling that uh, residual effect of that uh, zest uh, and the way it kind of hits the – it lingers on the palate.
3: I'm yeah. fairly confident but not totally going to throw my uh, name on it, but uh, I'm pretty sure that Liberator actually used a lot of uh, the Michigan um, Cascades that we uh, – and Chinooks that we got as well, because Michigan's actually got quite a budding, no pun intended, uh, hop industry. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's definitely getting a cool, lot cooler again to source local ingredients. So, yeah.
2: so I realize we're, we're talking about like s'mores and key lime pie and all these crazy beers, and I apologize if we get invited back to do this again. I think we'll have to go extreme, extreme shorts. Um, but the next one is is a really fun beer, and this is one where, how we can add fruit and use that as our centerpiece and and as the showcase uh, ingredient in this particular beer. Uh, It's called our anniversary ale. It is a wheat wine. And the cool thing about wheat wines, has everyone or has anyone had wheat wines in here before? Wheat wines are very much like barley wines where you're using a substantial amount of malt to make a bigger beer. But the nice thing about wheat is that it's not going to have the same impact of malted barley. It does give you more uh, alcohol, but the overall uh, body of the beer is not going to be too intense. So it still is a pretty clean uh, template for uh, doctoring and, and, and you know, having some fun with. Uh, this beer basically became a centerpiece for us uh, when it was decided that we need a good annual beer to be our, uh, you know, showcased beer for our our anniversary every year. Every year we celebrate another year in business. We decided we needed to make a beer that would be a, a great representation of, you know here we we did it again, I don't know how, and let's celebrate with another year of anniversary ale. Anniversary ale up to this point had always been just some kind of uh, thrown-together IPA, a triple-double, whatever was kind of stewing in Joe's brain at the time, and we realized just for consistency's sake, it wouldn't hurt to have a beer that could be that centerpiece, if you will. So uh, I believe it was our assistant Bel Air brewer at the time, um, Ryan Hale, and I believe it was in 2009 when we first did the first anniversary ale. I think this is our third time brewing it. And, um, or it would have been 10. 9 or 10. Uh, it's amazing. You wouldn't think it would be that hard to remember, but I, I think it was, it was in 2009 or 10. And, um, he pitched the idea of, well, let's make a big high gravity beer, but let's use wheat as the, um, primary, you know, malted grain, cereal grain to use, and that way it'll keep the overall body low, it'll allow for a significant ABV and make it a bigger beer overall, but then we'll add blood oranges to it, and then green peppercorns. So, there are some nice hops also in this beer, but really we tried to allow the, um, the fruit to be the, the, the showcased ingredient, to the, the really be the focal point. Um, not only does it have a wonderful impact on the color, I mean, there's even a, a nice subtle purple hue to this beer, but the green peppercorns kind of fill in where some of the uh, hops would normally have uh, provided some flavor. Uh, you know, sometimes hops give you a nice spicy quality. And what's really fun about this particular beer is that blood oranges are really earthy. They're not nearly as sweet as a regular orange, and they almost have more grapefruit-like qualities to them. So with this, we added blood orange puree, which gave us some nice uh, increased fermentable sugars, uh, some you know, flavor as well as that wonderful color, but then we also added blood orange zest to this as well. We really like zest. Zest gives you some really heightened flavors um, and has an impact more than puree because it's not going to ferment out, and it's going to give you exactly what you're expecting to taste when you add that zest to the beer. The cool thing was when we gave this to a few people to use for beer dinners, um, when they initially smelled it, that combination of the peppercorns and the blood orange almost creates like a piney-like aroma. And I just used this about a week or so ago at a beer dinner, and the first thing the chef said when he smelled it was, pine, you know? And we did, I think we used some Simcoe in here, which sometimes people say Simcoe has a little bit of piney. I always say it's very earthy and grapefruity to me. But... um, it's really that way that the, the green peppercorns and the blood oranges kind of uh, meld together on that nose that give you almost a pine-like quality, which I thought was kind of a really nice uh, side you know, bonus um, from making this beer.
3: One of the issues I have with this beer is like it's so – you can tell it's a big beer when you're sampling it. The alcohol – what's the alcohol content Ten. on it? Ten. Um, but, yeah, the, yeah I think the blood yeah. I think the blood oranges really, like, even though they're powerful – it's like uh, something you can almost you know you want to drink more quickly, and so yeah. I'm like sitting here, I dangerous, just can't put dangerously it down.
2: sessionable, yeah. yeah, And that's the beauty of that wheat wine too, is that it doesn't have the body of a barley wine. It has everything else, the alcohol, you know, and and things like that. But um, it was it really turned out to be a great beer, and it surprised me because you know we don't filter uh, our beers. We do flash pasteurize, but that's really just to buy us a little shelf time. So when we do end up with a nice, naturally bright beer like this, considering all the, the residual uh, non-traditional ingredients we add to it, it's um, it, it's so rewarding to us because not only does you have these extra uh, wonderful flavors in the beer, but um, you know, to accomplish something like that, it's just it's an added
3: bonus. You know, I think this year is probably one of the best colors we've ever had Absolutely. on the anniversary as well. So
2: but uh some nice tart qualities from the blood orange and and, and there's no hiding this is that's the the, scent, the the focus of this beer and that's where the fruit really comes in uh our soft parade is the same way it's a fruit infused rye ale the rye does play a very important role but that's a fruit beer you know and we're not trying to hide anything around that um so this is a great example of when fruit can just be the focal point and it can be this uh excellent way of kind of creating a new beer even though we're using a you know a style that's already been established the wheat wine but making it very distinct and unique to shorts and kind of putting our own little signature on it um, you know a highly sought after beer the cool thing about all these beers that we have tonight they they're pretty much our Fastest selling beers in Michigan, and they're all limited specialty releases. We do about 600 cases of these beers, uh, put them out of the state. uh, You know, at one point, given you know during certain months, and that's it. And for Matt Drake, who just joined us here, who also works at Shorts, who like Scott and myself has worn many many hats, he tries to uh, you know stay on top of our social media and uh, marketing. And these are the beers that. Constantly for months afterwards, where can I find more antio? What about that pure guava? You know, and it's just like, sorry, you know, that's it. And it, it can be um, really good, but also at the same time, kind of frustrating for a lot of people to be like, next year? You know, like, I don't know what to tell you. But a lot of that is not even to just create that fever around these beers, it's just because there's always a next one down the line that we want to make and we want to brew. Uh, a big reason why we'll probably always be limited to Michigan is just that will never be hindered and limited on our creativity because one beer uh, dominates the production schedule and things like that.
3: We, we release in Michigan a different bottled beer pretty much every other week on average. Um, then we have the seasonal program, our flagships as well. So we run 30 to 40 different beers a year. Um, so the production schedule is quite challenging. Um, Especially when sometimes we've had issues where one beer may not be perfectly white like we wanted it. Especially if we're scaling up from a small batch to a large batch. Is, it's not just you quadruple everything or everything. like It just totally changes the system. So we've had batches that we weren't totally so Maybe the spice was too much. So the only thing you can do, because we don't want to release a bad product, is to make a whole other batch. And blend the two to, to lower down the uh, spice profile, so of a sudden you 've got a double batch, so we 've had it 's a very challenging issue, especially on the first run. We get better and better each time at each different run, but it 's yeah. fun well
2: and it, it also you know there 's probably a reason why more breweries don 't do that because you never really know what beer is going to sell better than the other, and you don 't learn until it 's out there, and then six months later you still see it on the shelves and you 're like, how is that possible? There was only six hundred cases. Oh, black licorice lager. That doesn't sound very appealing to most people. However, if you tried it, it's actually a wonderful beer, you know. And, um, what's that? Exactly, renaming it. Uh, one of uh, our new guys who works with us out in the field, if you would have just called that thin mint lager, that beer would have been, you know, and it's true. And I mean, and that's a beer where I personally don't like black licorice at all. Joe Short will eat a bag of it, you know, and loves it. However, the beer was chocolate mint vanilla bean and anise and so it was just this wonderful layering of flavors where when it was nice and cold there was this vanilla bean up front with the anise following and then as it warmed up it was the anise kind of took over and then the chocolate mint was in the finish so there was never a period where the anise was dominating the flavor profile however if you just call the beer black licorice lager that's all people are there think they're going to taste and there it sits on the shelf so it's like I said it can be a a very um, uh, you know, a problematic scenario if you don't have your brew schedule dialed in. And we've learned only like most people do through trial and error. But we're getting good. You know what I mean? We know if we're going to release a beer called Peaches and Cream, we're probably not going to have too many issues with it sitting on the shelves. And so we're bringing that one back, uh, which hasn't been brewed since 2007. And we're really excited to release that uh, this July. Um, key Lime Pie is another one where it doesn't need too much extra marketing or encouragement to sell. Um, but like I said, another beer that we are showcasing tonight that's a great beer that we use at so many beer dinners and it's one of our oldest beers, Good Samaritan, it always kind of receives mixed reviews. You know, The name doesn't really let you know what's going on in that beer. And even tonight it just says Amber Ale. But it's brewed with a Belgian yeast strain, and we had northern Michigan apple cider to it. And so there's so much more when you read the fine print. But not everybody reads the fine print. I mean, look at the beer aisle nowadays. I mean, it's, you know, as, sometimes there's some places where it wraps around this room, you know. So, um... We realize if we're going to be this ambitious and if we're going to continue to uh, cater to our creative side, which all the brewers are going, yes, 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 um, that's the beauty of it. We, we, we have very happy brewers because we they, we don't force them to be you know brewing the same beer over and over and over again. We allow them to constantly be creative and doing fun stuff. Um, we have to find those varieties that either are very flashy and they catch the consumer's eye or it's the beers that are the guaranteed um big sells a lot of ipas freedom we brought, of 78 yeah, was we brought one of two ipas really today.
3: It, it really didn't the first time we did freedom it was it was it wasn't like wow it's gone but it was like 3 weeks later everyone was like oh, i really want more of that and then so the next year it kind of caught on but it was definitely um
0: Uh, This may seem like an odd question, but uh, it's been bouncing around in my head since the start, since since I heard that you were in game development. I know um, (laughs) that uh, game development is hard, and and I imagine that uh, it's probably more fulfilling what you're doing right now. But I guess the question I would have is, is there any uh, crossover? Is there anything that you've found that's helpful in both?
3: Well, yeah, I've had a really fun... I I can't imagine as a kid that... the, the. yeah, when I was told that what I'm going to be doing is basically yeah, designing video games, and when I'm bored with that, then I'm going to go and start making. You I don't make the beer, but I'm involved in making beer. Um, so I've had a pretty dream life um, of it. But I mean, they're very. I mean, they're both. I'm I'm not on the creative side of brewing, but um, what I've learned. What I learned in gaming was you know a lot of project management, a lot of solving problems. Um, which an average brewery always has problems, but shorts has more problems. I mean when we built our first brewery, the reason I mean you know we we buy everything on ebay we don't anymore but when we when we bought our labeler, we bought it on eBay um, I think it was like fifteen hundred bucks, we got it working, and it was all going good until we finally actually came to the label when we actually did the first labeling run. and after about ten minutes, we figured well, even quicker. Um, we figured it didn't work um, we also we also had just we were just about to go yeah you know, we ran out of money we had a bunch of beer we needed to package and we had orders and we had a big announcement that we were going to have a big you know shorts coming out in bottles so that was the most expensive piece of equipment i've ordered and i just phoned the label manufacturer like the actual um equipment manufacturer i'm like i need a labeler and they're like all right well which anyone you have just i need it like ship it i need it now and it actually took uh, 6 weeks to get still so in the meantime, for especially like the first two weeks, but really for six straight weeks, is what we did is we had to hand label every single bottle, which was over 50,000 bottles in the first few weeks, um, so what we did is we got pretty good at it. we developed like these little pot Devon things which you slide the label in and they put Elmer's wood glue on the back eBay like,
2: saved us again though because you got those labels I did I got those <laughs> and I did
3: get those on eBay too um, and then uh, so we would like sit there and we'd put the labels on and then we figured out that because of till we dialed in the glue that then we had to wipe them down like three times so the first shorts book and then we didn't even realize that so the first cases you opened up was just basically some bottles in the bottom there was like uh this much thick glue and labels in each labels of the are cases crooked and <laughs> overlapped and, so yeah it was uh and then uh, i i got calluses on my hand and then i became like dictator scott where i was like i've done you know you know and you, you need to do like a bottle every three seconds. Bottle every yeah. We got to get this truck out. And uh, I ended up that they sent me home. And um, <laughs> but they they stuck at it with a number of weeks. And it was that's kind of like how we've had to struggle through. But like a lot of a lot of it does go with just solving problems. And as I said, we create. I probably create for the whole brewery a number of problems that then I try and solve. So. <laughs> Yeah,
2: the first two semis worth of beer, uh, bottles sent out were done that way. And uh, the last day culminated in a 24-hour run. And even that is still not the craziest story that sh- has yet to happen <laughs> for Shorts. Uh, our pub remodel uh, almost killed our owner. Um, and uh, I, we'll see what this uh, latest expansion and upgrade will do to him during that time. How it almost killed him. Uh, well, it was just another thing where we had about five weeks worth of work and we could only afford to be closed for two and a half. And uh, Joe, learning from our previous mistakes, you know, or just we can't afford to do everything ourselves. We'll contract it out, but we'll find people that will do it in the time limit that we need it and he'll fill in wherever else. Uh, it was the same thing, you know. I'll, I'll do a 24-hour day, making sure everybody's done and then as I drive home when the sun's coming up, I hopefully won't fall asleep and crash into a tree. But thankfully, I just grazed it, you know what I mean? And, um... <laughs> It's just insane, and that's almost how Shorts, you know, wasn't anymore. But uh, thankfully we made it through that, and like Scott said, we learned as we went. And um, the same thing applies to a lot of these beers and a lot of our uh, the method to our madness. And uh, you don't know until you try, and uh, the biggest thing that we have coming up, you know, now in June is can we fit 16 new tanks into our current footprint, and it's... Uh, we don't know until we try. You know what I mean? And, yeah, they're coming in uh, in a few yeah, weeks. Coming, yeah. <laughs> so, so here we are uh, in June, uh, quickly approaching our busiest time of year, and uh, we're going to, uh, as Joe says, we're going to have a, mo- a minor hiccup in production, and uh, we're going to open up the ceiling of our production facility, lower in these tanks, move everything down, um, and hopefully by the second week of July... We'll be back up and running again, you know what I mean? And nobody will know. And that's you know, kind of how it has to go. And, and, and our story is not even that unique. I mean, there's, that, there's so many other breweries that have done the same thing. I think one of the, the most rewarding and uh, encouraging things we ever heard was when we shared our glue hand label story uh, with you know, someone like Sam Calgione who goes, Sounds about right. I sent a case of, I sent out a pallet worth of bottles with rubber bands holding the labels on and you're just like, oh, okay. Well, at least ours were a, adhered to the bottle, so that's not too bad. You know, good for us. Um, you know, so... It, yeah, those might be... They might be collector's items, yeah. <laughs> but, well, we you know... Probably, uh, yeah, stop, yeah, we have one more... Any, I don't want to get too far away from the beer. What did you guys think about the anniversary ale? I mean, not bad? Yeah. Cool. Some nice um, tart qualities, yeah. And that's, and that's one of the coolest things, too. Oops, sorry. We do have a question over there. But...
0: Well,
2: as someone who's a little bit um, knows the area, how has um, kind of northern Michigan adapted to this influx of breweries and, and just this new culture that has come up? I know we know a lot of the cherry fields are going sure. away, and you now have a lot of hops, yeah. but what else has kind of adjusted as well?
3: Well, when we when we first started the brew pub as well, and the only, the biggest reason why I became part of Shorts is a terrible story. But I was uh, at a wedding with a, a mutual friend of ours, and um, yeah, they had decided they wanted to open this brew pub. They actually applied for a license, it got declined because there was an issue with a church who was too close and they had objected to it. Um, anyway, <laughs> there was a yeah, 40-member congregation, um, so I ended up, I was very drunk, and uh, as if many of you meet me when I'm drunk, I make, I can make, uh, bold claims, I usually come through on them, but I wake up in the morning regretting them, and this was one of those days where I was like, I'm sure it'll be fine, I'm really good at paperwork, I'll come up there tomorrow and I'll fix everything, um anyway, fast forward through tomorrow, I woke up, my wife was like, do you remember what you said you were going to do for those guys? And I was like, I do. And then she was like, all right. So she was like, are we going there? To-? I was like, yeah, we better go there today. I was like, don't worry, it'd be a quick in and out. I was like, you know, I'll help, I'll help out, do what we need to do. And uh, I was like, I'm sure I can take care of it. And um, so we walked in there and I said, you know, after 30 minutes, just say, you know, we've got to go because we've got to get back downstate. And um, so I walked in and that was when I first met Joe and he had found a building there was a you know, big pile of bricks on the floor and uh he uh, turned around and he showed me what he wanted to do and then my wife did the hey honey we gotta go it's thing and I was like Psh, get out of here and uh after a few hours maybe three or four hours of talking to Joe um we drove out of Bel Air and as soon as we got in the car she's like you bought into this didn't you and I was like I was like this, I was like, it's a sure bet. He is so confident in what he's going to do. I was, like, I, and I was like, I know I can do what he needs me to do. So um, sure enough, we prevailed through, and um, we, we just started construction without a license, actually. We actually got the license after quite a, I wouldn't say a legal fight, but a number of hearings. Um, we actually ended up getting the license on the... On We were, we were going to open anyway, we because we were allowed to do it. The way we did it, we were allowed to give away everything that we had, so we made this beer. We were just going to give it away to everyone who supported us. It was a closed event, so we were allowed to do it. Um, the day before, we actually got our license. The day before, we had this event planned. So we actually ended up opening. So we opened up right away, and um, kind of the rest is history. But it was just... Uh, Really crazy. <laughs> Tor-
2: torches and pitchforks. Get out of our town, you young and,
3: punk! Yeah. That, t- so um, the, the reason on the story was yeah. that everyone yeah. in town objected.
2: Yeah. No one wanted the brew pub. Um, now they're asking, will you join our chamber? Will you, you know, do this and that? And so it, it's it's the, the now that, so the that's, and is, We have a great relationship now too. Yeah. So. And, and and it's been wonderful. And there's been you know businesses that have come to us and said, you know, we're specifically in Bel Air because we have watched, we've seen the commerce come and go. From the pub, and we know just from overflow that we'll be successful just by putting our business next to you. And we said, great, because that's what the brew pub is. It's the center of commerce. It's what it's always been in, in in colonial America and historical America. The brew pub has been the focal point of the community. Without it, there's no community. You know, it's the first building built. So that was Joe's mission. It was always his mission. Hence, why he chose this challenge of I'm going to pick a small town and I'm going to make it work, and the, the pub will emulate everything that it was meant to, and it always will, not knowing that the rest of the community would be like, oh, no, you're not, you know what I mean? But we got it, thanks to you know people like Scott. So then the opportunity came to look for a production facility, and we found another wonderful small northern Michigan community called Elk Rapids that we thought, well, this will be great. And Elk Rapids, at first, when they said, oh, you want to take one of our, empty warehouse district buildings and putting a, well, how can we help? Let's do it. Let's make it work. This will be great. You know, and they were welcoming and they helped us. And, you know, we just, you just want a package there. You just want to make it work. Yes, yes, yes. So we were doing that. And same similar story where, um, the equipment was in before the building was actually purchased, <laughs> but you know, it was a good thing. And then the question started to come, well, when can we buy beer here? When can we do this When? Go that. Oh, okay. You want beer. Let's do it. We found a building downtown. This will work. I think this will be a great opportunity for us. Oh, no, you won't, you know what I mean? And it's like, look, we've done this before. It's the same song and dance, you know? And so I think it's where you're at, you know? And um, northern Michigan itself, I think they understand now that um, craft beer is a good thing, especially for the tourism that's based around that area. Wine is a big thing, uh, the lakes and all the boating and things like that. Um, But there's still that small-town mindset of, we don't need no riff-raff, you know, selling beer and this and that. And uh, that one was a whole another issue where they had it in their minds that that space is going to become a park and it's going to be an open space and uh, we don't want shorts. And it's like, but look, we've shown you that we are directly can can add commerce and we can bring other establishments, we create jobs, and um, we lost that one. And I and it was just so funny because it was like, we've been through this before. I didn't think this would ever happen again. Um But it was great because it forced us to be creative, you know. We're going to find a new way around it. And, uh, yeah, it just, you know, beer prevails, you know. The beer, though. We should probably mention something <laughs> quickly about the beer. Um, this, is, this is a, you know, we started off with two IPAs and how, you know, fruit can be used to complement some of the existing flavors in beer. Um, then we went to how fruit can be the showcase and you can use some really cool flavors that a, a fruit like blood oranges can impart into a beer and that can be a totally new, a fun experience. This one's really cool because this is our barley wine. This is called the Wizard. And the Wizard is everything that you would expect a barley wine to be and then some three times the amount of malt that you would find in a normal beer. Um, we boiled it for over seven hours. Um, and so, we, yeah, we're really reducing. It, it is almost the crazy part, but it's not how it applies to this um, discussion. Um, but, yes, yeah, so we boiled it for a long time, uh, consolidated those sugars, ex, you know, boiled off about a sixth of the water. Um, and so we ended up with this really potent uh, wort, that was going to be inevitably turned into a really potent beer. So prior to putting it in the fermenter, we decided, well, we might want to come up with a way to combat the intense alcohol presence that this beer is going to have. No matter what, we know that this beer is going to be big and you're going to get that big warming quality. You know, the same way you drink straight vodka and you get the fire. Well, we, we, we knew this was going to have that big mouth warming effect and that alcohol was going to be un, undeniable. So... What we did was, we looked at the big sweet flavors that were going to be prominent in this beer caramel, toffee, even a raisin like sweetness. And we said, okay, well, let's add some raisins to the fermentation, not so much to be the centerpiece of the beer, but with the hopes that maybe that will help mask some of that big intense alcohol warming quality. And the end result is The Wizard, our our first ever barley wine that we made at Shorts. And we do a barrel-aged version of this as as well, but in my own personal opinion, it was a success. And I feel, you know, I I enjoy a barley wine, but a barley wine to me is the way I enjoy a bourbon. I'm going to nip it, slowly sip it. This, and I use the term lightly, is a sessionable barley wine. You can drink it, and it doesn't really hit you with the same impacting Whew, you know, hot. You know, we got about 12% in there, don't we? And we do in this beer, but it doesn't have the same effect. I know this is around 11, 12%, but those raisins really come in as that um, catalyst to, to, to masking the uh, big intensity and the warming nature of the alcohol that would normally resonate on the palate if they weren't there. And so this was that use of fruit to kind of disguise. Um, the intensity of the beer. And the same thing happens with some of our other beers like our Soft Parade and things like that which have a really high ABVs but you would never know it because of the flavors that the fruit imparts. So that's where this one really comes into play and um, you know, the fruit is our little uh, sneaky uh, way of disguising the intensity of this beer.
3: And uh, I know we've uh, I heard the, the other room closing out so I think we're meant to be shortly behind but uh, to kind of close out, coming back to your question... When we started shorts, I helped a lot of other people across the country open their breweries too, and it it was a I wouldn't say a hostile environment, but a, an a environment of doubt. What are you trying to do? You know, is drunkenness going to be a problem? You know, things th- things like this. You know, what's it going to? And I I think as people have seen shorts and a number of other breweries across the country kind of develop into, A, there's usually not that much trouble. I don't think we've ever, I don't think we've ever had a fight in our brewery. We've never had, yeah, we've never been had a violation, a single violation. Yeah, we have dance class on Tuesday night with couples <laughs>
2: of the community. You know? Yeah,
3: we, I mean, we've got every, yeah, we've got random classes everywhere. Everyone wants, like, everyone wants to have meetings there, like, Republicans, Democrats, there's always, like, Political, spirituality, spirituality, spirituality knitting, um, yeah, knitting, <laughs> quilting, yeah, knitting, quilting. Like yeah. there's, like it's a, it's a central hub, and I think people across the country have seen it, and I think that's one of the reasons why we have seen such a rapid increase in brewing. I mean, craft brewing, as you guys know, you're here. It's not about going out and getting wasted. It's about learning about beers, having a good time, enjoying everyone's company. But generally, it's, it's a progressive movement. It's not just about going to get drunk. And typically, actually, you know, we don't, even though we drink bigger beers, we may drink less of them. We sip them. We don't just get there. So, one of the reasons I think that we're seeing so many breweries in America is because the, the community hub that breweries have become. We've, we're to the point now where, as soon as we tried to do our crapids and we kind of changed course a little bit with that, all the way across, even out of state all across the state, communities have been calling saying, hey, we think we should have a brew pub in our town. Um, and it used to be trying to convince them, now we're getting there like I mean, if we wanted to open another brew pub just for the sake of owning a brew pub, now would be the time because they've been like you know, for an established brewery, they've been offering is great. They really want a brew pub there. They do understand the value of a, in the community. So I think that's why we're seeing part of the raise and I think that's going to you know kind of continue as well It's kind of a renaissance in a it's right. So yeah,
2: and I, I don't want to take away. Uh, I know we need to close, but it, it is really in the same way that you know people are people are passionate about beer, and it's the same way that people are passionate about their sports teams. And you see communities embrace their local breweries, and they they embrace them. It's the hometown pride, and then they and they want to raise that. If your brewery is a success, then it raises up the community as well. And um, it, it is, it's a really cool correlation how that works and why a community is the same way they would bid for a sports team to come to their town. I, I, and we need a brewery because the passion is there. Why? Because beer brings people together the same way that athletics do, the same way that so many other things that have constantly been bringing people together. Beer does the same thing, but it's been doing it for just twice as long as everything else. So, yeah, It works. Sorry, Paul.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you, Woj. Thank you, Scott. That was great. Great beers. Excellent conversation. And uh, thank you very much. It was a real treat to uh, get some shorts beer here in D.C. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this Saver Salon. Craft Beer Radio is a mostly weekly beer podcast where we attempt to educate and entertain. If you haven't heard our podcast, we invite you to find us on iTunes or go to our website at craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Please visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.